I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Today on the program, we had a great conversation with Dustin Smith. He runs a nonprofit organization called Especially for Athletes, and we have connected in many ways, especially as we talk about unified sports and how what we're doing in unified sports really is a great partnership with what he's doing with the athlete leaders. We're excited to have you take a listen. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We have a new guest here today, somebody that I just recently met. Um, his name is Dustin Smith. And welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's great to be here. Yeah, we're really excited because you and I connected at a unified sports event. We were at our RSL tournament uh, or at RSL Stadium. It was our unified sports tournament. And we uh, connected in a lot of ways because we both are really passionate about some of the things that are going on with unified sports. But you do a lot with athletes. Um, Before we get into that, though, let's just do a little background on you, where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your family, your childhood, your, you know, we got to do a little bit of Oprah style here (laughs) as we get started. Yeah, thank you. I grew up in Sandy, Utah. So went to Skyline High School, graduated from the University of Utah. Um, Years ago, started a a company called Quarterback Elite with uh, former BYU quarterback Ty Detmer. And that was right about the time I had my Second child, I think, about that time. I have five now. My oldest. And how just, did you know um, Ty Detmer to begin with? Is is that just something you knew through the through your athletics experiences? Uh, you know what? I got introduced to Ty from somebody at BYU. I can't remember okay. who it was. I was I was, uh, you know, uh, just bouncing around some ideas, some business ideas that I had, and and had on the side had been working with quarterbacks. Okay. Um, and got introduced to Ty from somebody at BYU. It might have been a coach at BYU. And Ty and I, you know, developed a friendship and eventually started this program, Quarterback Elite, okay. um, which wasn't at the time and still isn't a, a, a super, you know, big company or anything. But it was growing and it has grown. But it was in the process of doing running that and and raising my family. I young kids at the time. My oldest is now nineteen. My youngest is nine, but at and the you time have five now. You I said five. sorry, I don't want to yeah. cut you. So no, you have yeah, five I have now. five. Yep, have okay. five. Um, lived down in Spanish Fork. Uh, my wife was from down there, and we moved down there. I don't know, ten or twelve years ago or so. But it was during that time of of training uh, people, kids all over the all over the country, and then running some other some other businesses that I had some involvement in. That I, I kind of got hit firsthand with some issues that were going on in the lives of a lot of our youth and decided 
that we had an angle that we might be able to do something about that and, and started a program called Especially for Athletes. And that sense evolved into actually unrelated to athletes, speaking to kids about the importance of what we call living with our eyes up and doing the work, being aware and, and having courage to get involved in things that they're passionate about. And I have found through doing that, that this generation that sometimes I believe gets a, a negative uh, rap, uh, which I don't believe is, is accurate, uh, it can do a lot of unbelievably good and positive things. They just need a little bit of direction and a little bit more, I think, hope that they're not as lazy and as entitled as sometimes I think our generation tells them they are. And with that, having spoke now with tens of thousands of kids over the last 10 years, mostly in Utah, Idaho, and, and Arizona, um, we're finding that they're, they want to do more and they want to have happier, more fulfilling lives. Uh, we just need to help them a little bit. Yeah. So just our previous podcast, we had three uh, students from Mountain Crest High School up in Cache Valley. Yeah. And I tell you, anytime I'm around kids, um, and, and these are young adults, yeah. Anytime I'm around them, I feel a lot of hope yeah. uh, for the future. So talk a little bit about um, what you're seeing. You know, you're, you're saying there's there's a lot of hope. They need a little direction. Yeah. Um, once you when you started your program, what was what was the impetus behind it? And what what are you seeing um, as the program has progressed? Well, I had been involved in helping a um, involved in a small business that went public uh, franchising of a business. I'd been involved in this business world and on the side was doing these things with these quarterbacks. As as I continued to do that, I found that some of these quarterbacks were going on and having success. And so were you training quarterbacks that were getting ready for college? Or are you training quarterbacks getting ready to enter professional yeah. football or all, all of all the of above? It now. Okay. Yeah, at the time, not so much the NFL. Okay. But at the, now I have several that I've worked with that are in the NFL. Most of the college quarterbacks here locally in uh, Utah are kids that I've worked with over the years since they were in, many of them, seventh, eighth grade. Okay. Um, and so I'll see kids from all over the country now. But at the time, uh, they were mostly junior high and high school age kids who were going on and getting all this attention at their school. I was at the time dealing with a fourth grade daughter who we had just moved into a new community who was being bullied at school and watched a athlete walk into the elementary school behind my daughter when I dropped her off at school and did what most parents do when your kids are in those situations. You you pray your guts out that they'll have a better day at school. I dropped her off and watched somebody walk into the school behind her who was older than her with a t-shirt on and it had my camp, my quarterback camp logo on his shirt. And I realized inside of that school are kids that I have done this work with. And I've never once talked to them about anything other than how to be a better quarterback. When that exact young man right there could have put his arm around my daughter, a new student at this school and made her life immediately easier. Mm -hmm. And so that's when it dawned on me that we have a unique group of kids in our schools, a message I wanted to share, but I wanted to share it, especially with athletes because of what we later coined the sport light. They have this spotlight on them. But the message of eyes up, do the work and all this isn't just just for athletes. It's a I believe the world in general, if we would be more aware of each other, get off of our devices, stop being so pessimistic, stop looking at everything through the lens of negativity, eyes down. Right. That we'd find that the world 
yes, there's problems in it, but it's not as bad as we tell these kids it is. We, we think about what they hear if they go on online or if they, they turn the news on or they hear mom and dad talking in a political year or something right now, right, with yep. midterms and things. If they hear mom and dad talking around the dinner table about politics, whoever the president is, it's going to be negative and there's going to be it's going to be hate filled. And so they're growing up in this world that's quite a bit different than the world we grew up in. And our generation, we're similar in, in age, you yep. and I, we grew up in a time when we didn't have access to immediate information. Kids nowadays have as much information, yep. access to information in their pocket as you as the president of the United States had when you and I were in high school. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. And so yeah. with that information, you know, this I generation, they've had half as many conversations with other human beings when they graduate high school. Their brains are three years less developed, studies say, socially. And we, their parents, are trying to raise them in a circumstance where we don't, we weren't given a playbook on how to deal with this iPhone thing and Instagram and TikTok and all these things they're having and the social media. Uh, but just the pressure of trying to measure up and be what they think they're supposed to be. And so we're trying to figure it out as parents and we're screwing it up, but we're trying, <laughs> right? But these kids, they just don't know what they don't know. And that is that there's a lot of beauty in the world. There's a lot of good things in the world too. It's not all just, you know, going, going to garbage. There's some great things out there. And when they realize that they get their eyes up and they realize, wait, I can be more than what Instagram tells me I am. Yeah. And they use their influence, whatever that is. I happen to love sports and I happen to be a coach and I've, I've worked with thousands and thousands of athletes. So I just found my niche immediately was going to be talking to them. It's now turned into where I'll go to assemblies at schools or I'll go talk to businesses about how a business can be more successful if the employees will live with their eyes up. They'll be aware of their coworker, but not only have their eyes up, but be willing to do the work to sit down with their coworker and say, are you okay? Because guess what, guys? Adults are struggling with the same thing these kids are, including yeah. the social media issues. We oftentimes say, well, kids this, kids that, kids this, when we're talking about social media. But the same 40, 50-year-old parent at home is sitting on their Facebook account for hours at times, ignoring yeah. things they should be doing that are more important at home. And the kids are seeing this. And so anyway, that that's led into studies and curriculum and, and books and things we've written and done to try to, how can we better reach these kids? And I've, I've kind of settled on the fact that they need more inspiration. They just, they're motivated kids, but they need to sometimes be inspired. They need that something to start it, something to ignite the fuse. They have it. They just, it's just quiet and we got to find it. Once we light it, these kids will do amazing things. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I've had, you know, Spencer and I have had these conversations the last little while really about this idea of, of kids being bombarded by the negativity and, and trying to keep all of us from being cynical. Um, and you know, yeah, we're parenting this generation. So it's, it's incumbent upon us, I think, to be that example. And there are a lot of studies saying that kids are competing for their parents' attention with social media. Hmm. And, um, you know, all the kids jumped off Facebook when the parents got on, but <laughs> that's true. The, <laughs> and now Facebook? grandparents, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they'll probably jump off Instagram yeah. once, you know, all the parents are on Instagram uh-huh. and you know, all that. But, um, but I was just, we were just speaking to those kids from, 
from Mountain Crest, and we had one of the three didn't even have a phone. She's a senior in high school. That's... And the other one didn't ha- has a phone but was not allowed to have social media. And I was really encouraged by that, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> so are you as you're talking to parents, are you are we starting to see a glimmer of hope that maybe we're starting to understand the effects of social media and the effects of our devices and what it's doing to our kids? I mean, we talk about, you know, we were able to it took a lot of years, sadly, where people were dying of cancer because they didn't understand the effects of smoking. Yeah. It's taken a long time for people, you know, to understand the effects of opioids and, you know, connect that to mm. opioid companies and some of their, you know, the drug companies and some of their practices. Yeah. What are you seeing maybe with parents? Are we going to be able to connect some of these you know, the self-harm and the things that are going on with kids, the anxiety and depression, are you starting to see maybe in your world where parents are starting to understand the dangers? Yes. I think, I think more are not enough Yeah, um, because it's an easy, you know, unlike something like smoking, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that maybe some parents would, but I don't know that 30 years ago, mom or dad would hand a cigarette back to the child in the back seat to calm them down and tell them to, to stop talking. Right. But we can give them an iPad or we can give them our phone. Right. And so, um, but I, I do feel like it's interesting you brought that up because I've, I've actually used that exact example Mm -hmm. of how, you know, uh, we would look nowadays at our parents and maybe say, you guys used to smoke on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I see somebody smoking just walking down the street and I'm like, wait, did you not get the memo? Like, yeah, like why are you still smoking? Yeah. yeah right. They, we, we used to, they used, you could go into buildings and, you know, and well, you in Europe, smoke, do you, or, I mean, if you've been into to Europe lately, I, I mean, there's so many people smoking and I'm like, wait, did you not get the same yeah, research we did? Did you not you. figure this <laughs> yeah, out? Yeah. I just, you know, I, I remember my mom, pictures of us when I was little, my brothers and me in the back of a car. And sometimes we didn't always, sorry, mom to rat you out right here, but we didn't always have our seatbelt on. Right. I remember falling asleep. I don't even know that we had seatbelts. Yeah. Right. I I put my knees down on the bottom in the back seat and I'd rest my head on the chair. My brothers and I would fall asleep, you know, with our hands on our head on our hands in the back seat without a seatbelt on. And nowadays we wouldn't, we get in the car and it's immediately seatbelts on. And so that's just sort of the evolution I think of, of parenting and things. But I also feel feel like we have to be careful because, and I do mention this to parents, and this would be something that I'd be interested in in your thought on. Um, I tell parents sometimes that I feel like, and I do the same thing. I, like I said, I have um, you know five kids, and I, I speak to a lot of them. I'm I feel like our role as parents ultimately is we want our kids to be safe and to not hurt and to not. And in the effort to do that, I think oftentimes we parent so good, we love so hard that we over insulate and we over protect. Yes. Yeah. And in the process of doing that, rob our kids of opportunities to learn resiliency. Because as soon as any sort of storm develops in their life, we swoop in and put the umbrella over them or shield them from the, the storm. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're parents. I'm, I'm the dad. I'm supposed, I want my daughters at home. I don't want anybody to ever do anything that's going to hurt their feelings. And if it is, I'm on it, right? I don't want to ever see them 
make a mistake and or not play if they they my daughter's dance or whatever like i why aren't they right we we just we have that that instinct but we never allow them to get that teflon that they need to build on them to then go out and be productive in the real world and so and i think that sometimes devices give us an excuse cuz i tell parents this all the time do we put po- and and, I, and I, I get in trouble sometimes with this so i believe we oftentimes post about our kids more for the compliments that we're going to get about our kid than because we're really super proud of them. We say we're proud of them in the post, but we could also just go down the hall and tell them we're proud of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when we do it and I get it, but if we, if we're not careful with it, it can get to the point where we're raising kids who only feel worthy of our attention and love if they're Facebook worthy. If their Instagram post worthy, if their day was deserving of a picture or a video, something for mom and dad to go and tell the world how proud they were of them. And then when that stops and there's no longer the dance recitals or the baseball games or the whatever to post about, what do we have now? Kids who lives have been broadcast through the eyes of look at my kid. And now they got to go into the real world where people don't care. And if you don't measure up, mom can't call the coach for you anymore and talk about your playing time or call the teacher to help get your, your B plus to an A minus. You just get fired. That's real life. And so I think as parents, we, it's hard, but I think we have to look at our individual circumstances and say, okay, maybe the best thing for my child is to get the B plus or to get the C plus right now and to figure it out and to learn that I can't swoop in every single time and talk the teacher into make the excuse of why they couldn't come to class or why they were, sometimes they don't go to class because they choose to sleep in or they slough or whatever. And we need to address that so that they can learn the hard lesson. And that's not being a bad parent to let them suffer. That's teaching them resiliency, which I believe is the, of all the things I find talking with these kids and parents, resiliency, the lack of is the thing that makes me the most nervous with the upcoming generation of kids is the lack of resiliency being built. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree with everything that you just said. And it is really hard as a parent to, to not jump in. I mean, I, we had a parenting moment last night where, you know, my daughter was really sad about something that had happened and, you know, her dad, wanted to come in and strangle the person that you know like yeah. was was making her sad. Yeah. But you can't. Yeah. And and what what are we teaching them and how are we teaching them to to overcome that on their own? How are we teaching them to to problem solve through something really hard? Um it, it's it's there's there's a book that I love it's called Love That Boy, and I've recommended it to everybody I know that's a parent, even if it's not. It's about a parent who had a child with autism, and he was a he's Ron Fournier is the is the author, and he he was a journalist and a you know for he was the uh, journalist at the White House for yeah. many publications and and things like that. But he talked about this idea. Um, of holding your, what you were just describing as holding our kids up as trophies Mm. and how dangerous that is for them. And also for us as parents. And if, 
and it's our expectations. Yeah. Um, and so if we expect that our child is going to is going to figure something out on their own and we're just there to to support, I, they will. Yeah. But it's probably the hardest thing that I do as a parent. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I came from a family of a, a, a big family where maybe I didn't feel like. Maybe I was felt like I was a little too resilient. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were on a farm too, right? I was. Yeah, <laughs> I was, and so there was a lot of independence, a lot of like figure yeah. it out. And so, as a parent, I kind of tend to to be the the other way, and yeah. and it's not healthy. What the way I was raised was much healthier, and so, um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But I think the idea of holding ourselves, our kids, out there as trophies on social media is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what does it say if we can't just walk down the hall or, or over the kitchen t- table and say, you know, I'm so proud of you. I saw that you overcame something really tough. I feel like that's enough, yeah. right? That it doesn't yeah. have to now be, I don't have to tell everybody that yeah. about it. That exactly. was enough. And that's, it was, it is enough in most cases. They just want to hear it from us. Yeah. Okay. I want to keep going on this conversation and talk a little bit what's about what's next with, especially for athletes. And we'll do that when we come right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here with Dustin Smith. Um, He has a, a company, I guess it would be called, or a, a program, yeah. a nonprofit yeah. um, that's called, especially for athletes, but we were just speaking about this. Describe maybe why this this title can be a little bit misleading yeah. and why um, you decided to actually focus a little bit in the beginning on athletes. Yeah. We thought a couple years ago that maybe we should change the name because I, I felt like we were sort of putting ourselves into a little bit of a corner in that well, you're just about athletes. You're just about sports. It's just about, and, and some stereotypes are accurate. I, I think most aren't. Uh, the athletes are the problem, right? Mm-hmm. In movies, the athlete's always the bully. The cheerleaders <laughs> are never nice, right? They're always mean. And so um, that's not really realistic. Most schools, they're, they're great kids who do yep. great things. Um, the only reason we called the program eventually or, or settled on the, especially for athletes is I found myself when I was talking to kids about this idea of living with their eyes up and doing the work that I kept finding myself saying, especially you athletes, mm-hmm. because you have attention on you, a spotlight on you. Now we later coined the phrase, the sport light, yeah. which is that light is because of sports. So the sport light and the thought was, well, we we do have groups out there that are doing a great job of bringing awareness to issues, and I commend all of them, and we're in that category. But I wanted to be more of a prevention group because I felt like the awareness was I, – I was getting constantly told about 
why is there so many suicides in Utah and why is there so many bullying and issues popping up in Utah and, and opioids and apathy and addiction and all these different things, right? And I was aware of them. Like I was crystal clear they were existing. But I, my next question was, but what are we doing about it other than I see posts online about they need to do this or they need to do that. And I was like, well, who are they? Yeah. Like who, the president, the government, like your church, like who are they? We're they. Yeah. We need to do something. And in my world with athletics, I found these kids have attention on them for good or bad. It's not fair, but it is what it is. You don't have to be a basketball player to have heard the name LeBron James. Yeah. Right. And people chose who they were going to vote for for president recent, you know, several years ago based on what Tom Brady said he was going to vote for. <laughs> so like that is what it is. We give these. So if you're a cheerleader at your high school and people know who you are and you choose to go into the classroom with your eyes up and you look for somebody that you don't know well. And instead of thinking it's, it's their job to come and find me because I'm the cheerleader, I'm cool. You have some compassion and, 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 and really not because you're better than them, but because you want to have more friends. You, you can't have too many friends, right? So you want to go and get to know somebody. And when that empathy and compassion and just desire to want to be just kind and cool to people start they start to do that it's we all have it as human beings as soon as there's a connection made between one human to another we want to do it again it's healthy we feel it right we don't have enough of it in the world right now because our connections are all artificial they're all through a device and and we're only showing one side of our life it's usually the best side of us through social media yep. but when you make a real human connection with somebody you feel it and you have you know that it, it, there's that just a feeling of love or appreciation. And our kids, I don't think are getting enough of that. And so it's leading to other issues that I think are harmful to their health. And so the idea of eyes up, do the work is not just for athletes. It's especially for them because they have a level of attention on them that I felt like the quickest way to get into the kids' lives was not to have a 45 year old guy like me go stand on a stage and speak to him because I'm just dad. I'm another old guy telling them to act a certain way. It's to have their own peers who have influence, who are sensitive and do want to do good, be in the halls and in the school and in the community doing good. And that's why we said, well, let's start first with those kids because they're culture creators in their school and have an idea of culture by design rather than by default. These kids can do it right now. So let's turn them loose and try to inspire them. And that's how this got started. But. It's yeah. not just for them. And we've seen this with our unified sports. So you were just at our yeah. tournament. Um, yep. Talk maybe a little bit about what you saw, maybe the power of of those peer athletes that yeah. have their eyes up. They're doing the work of yeah. connecting with uh, their friends who who um, are people of determination yeah. and are doing really incredible work. Um, I've seen it. I've been inspired about it. Uh, been inspired by it um what have you seen well it's funny how we got how we came to know about this because there was a, a former board member of the utah special olympics named kelly harris and kelly and i sit on another board together for another program the national football foundation of utah chapter and anyway we were at lunch and we were just talking once and he was telling me about being invited by somebody to come out to this track event for these special needs kids and and they needed help. And he said, I have nothing going on. I need to give back and do something. And yeah, I'll go help my friend. He said, he kind of came into the, like, I'm just helping my friend. Yeah. 
And he got there and he said, what do I do? And they didn't, they said, go over there by the finish line and they'll help you. And he went over to the finish line and no one came and gave, he thought he'd have a clipboard or a whistle or something to like do something. <laughs> and he was just at the finish line. He finally asked somebody that looked like they were with this Utah Special Olympics. Hey, what do I do? Do I need something? They said, oh, you're the hugger. So when they come through the finish line, your job is to give everybody a hug when they come through. And so he was oh. like, oh, okay. And so first kid comes through and he goes over and he gives him a hug and starts doing it again. And all of a sudden you can imagine what happens. His heart swells like this is really cool. And he said he was hook, line and sinker in left there saying, how can I help? How can I be involved? And when he told me that story, I felt like, wow, more people need to have that experience. I've never had it. I've at that, at that time I hadn't been done anything with, you know, that, that, that uh, organization or, and uh, so I said, Kelly, this especially for athletes program, we're, we have kids at every school that after we go and speak with them, we form these leadership councils and we do monthly trainings with them. And we try to create all these opportunities for them to learn how to get more engaged and doing good in their school. This would be a perfect thing for them to do. And he got me in touch with Scott. I went to lunch with Scott and Courtney and I said, hey, we're in schools that you're not in. You're in schools that we're not in, but you need athletes who want to do good to help let's connect these two. And that led to what we're doing now, which is, and and since we, this hasn't been that long, it's only been the last probably eight, nine months. We've talked to dozens of high schools about how do we bring the two together? Because I know both will benefit from it. And so it's been really fun and exciting and we're just in the process of doing it. And it was at that event at Rio Tinto that I was introduced to you and, and was able to, you know, share with you a little bit about what we've been doing now for 10 years. Yeah, this is going to be a great partnership. In fact, we were just uh, uh, when we were down at the One Utah Summit down in Cedar City for the governor's office. There, yeah. you know, their big summit. That was we, recently. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It was just a, a, yeah, couple, a couple of weeks, weeks ago, now. and we met with the uh, the athletes, the the leaders there in yeah. um, Cedar City High School, yeah. as well as Canyon View. Yeah. They were telling us that, you know, they're a part of, uh, you know, they call it yeah, E4A. E4A. They <laughs> yeah. said, we're E4A. And so we met with, with those students, yeah. those, you know, student athletes, and we talked to them about unified sports. And they're like, yes, of course, we're all yeah. in. This no is, this is, so yeah. it, this is a perfect partnership yeah. um, with us, you know, you, with Show Up and E4A. And um, I just think it's a perfect way to really, reiterate and reinforce both of our messages yeah. of like f- inclusion, kindness, compassion, empathy, getting proximate to somebody that has a different story than you do. And I, I it's just perfect. Um, I want to talk a little bit about one more thing that we've, we've done. And I think we've reached out to you too, to maybe be, be involved in this, but just service, um, yeah. just getting out and providing service. Um, Ashley Smith and I, Ashley Smith being the owner of the Utah jazz, she and I just did a video. She's also happens to be on my board. Uh, okay. So we're, we're connected, but we just put out a video and I think we sent it to you. Did you? I don't, I haven't okay. seen the video, but I we'll, want to we'll, see it. We'll yeah, get it to you, but it it's, to we'll it's help get us it talking about getting our Utah high school athletes, our teams to do a service project. And as they do, again, we're going to use, we've talked a lot about the negative of social media, but we're going to use our, our social media platforms and have kids use theirs to then and and coaches to tag us and then the utah jazz is going to jump in with 
you know, prizes, game tickets, oh, swag. Yeah. Um, so through the month of October, and there's only a few more days, but we can we can do into November a little bit probably. Sure. But if if our teams are doing this, so we would love, you know, yeah. so we're excited to partner with you and, yeah. and get going on I love that. it. Anything we can do to get, that's what our, our kids need, we need, everybody, in order to address any of the issues in society that we want to address, we have to be willing to serve and not just go on and complain about it online or, or, you know, or talk about it, but we have to give our hands dirty and, and do the work and, and service is contagious. We all know that when we do something, we serve somebody that there's a feeling that you get from serving someone and you want to keep doing it, it becomes contagious. And I, I, I think we're missing a little bit of that. So I commend you for doing that and please keep doing it. And these athletes that you're asking to do it, they want to, yeah. uh, they just, we don't give them a whole lot of opportunities to, to serve really. And I, th- I think if they had them, they jump on them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, um, when I've, whenever we've given them the challenge, they've, they've risen to the challenge and it's, it's, it's really incredible to watch. I'm, I've been inspired by, um, kids. I feel really old when I say this, but <laughs> like kids these days, you know, I, but I've felt actually really inspired by so many, anytime Spencer and I spent any time in the schools, we just come away just really hopeful. And we want to give those kids that hopefulness. Yeah. I think one of the things that we're, you talked about is that just this, the heaviness of the information that they consume every day in the world. And I think, you know, to avoid cynicism, to yeah. avoid, um, you know, anxiety about, about the world and, and really to provide hope for the future for them. We have to be that light. We have to be that beacon for them to say, no, you are amazing. Yeah. You do have the potential to do really incredible things. And in my view, and I tell this to kids, especially in unified sports situations, I say to them, especially those peers that are willing to to be that friend, to be open to friendship, they really, truly, I believe this and it's not hyperbole, I really, truly believe that they will change the world. Yeah, I agree. And it will be a better place for everyone else. I agree. Well, thank you, Dustin, so much for being a part of our, our program today and we will continue our partnership. We're really excited about this. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes at e4a.org. Thanks for being a friend. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.